This is a Founding Media Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Packing Taste. I'm your host, Axel Brave, and today we have Mason Eyre, the CEO of Kirby Lane and High Note. I had an awesome conversation with Mason today, and we talked about his family starting Kirby Lane, how it's still family-owned, and all the successes and techniques they've used over the course of 40 years to remain one of Austin's favorite comfort food locations. Um, we then talked about his new venture, High Note, which has a different take than Kirby Lane does. So if you haven't been, you should totally check it out. Anyways, let's just jump right in. And oh, don't forget to listen all the way to the end to hear Mason's favorite late night story that happened in Kirby Lane. Welcome everybody today um, on the new, the latest episode of Packing Taste. Today we have Mason Eyre from Kirby Lane and High Notes. Um, I'm sure most of you guys, most of our listeners, at least from Austin, have their own stories of Kirby Lane and, and how much they enjoy it. But yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Axel. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah. Finally, I know we were going back and forth a little bit on, on when you can come, but I'm glad you're finally here, found the place, and excited to talk to you because, at least for me, Kirby Lane has a lot of history for uh, when I grew up here, a lot of stories that we can share <laughs> once we're done here, but I'm sure you'll you'll giggle and laugh at some of them. But I think where I'd like to start off today is um, how was it like growing up here in Austin around this kind of community and kind of what were your hobbies? What did you do? And then how was it like having parents in the restaurant industry? <laughs> there's so a- like three questions, but you, you, you can answer them. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> Um, well, I love Austin, first and foremost. Um, you're not going to find me as one of those native Austinites that's going to bemoan the old Austin that no longer is here. I think that the fact that Austin has evolved into the city that it is is a great thing. Um, it's been a great thing for our business, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun to see the city grow. As a kid, I did normal kid stuff. Well, um, what at the time was normal kid stuff. I yeah, rode my what, bike. Yeah, what's normal kid stuff in Austin? Yeah, well, I mean, getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, building building forts in Shoal Creek and getting into poison ivy and, and jumping in rivers, yeah, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, I mean, I think it was a normal urban childhood. Uh, and then I had the the whole restaurant in the background, which was I thought it was awesome. Mm-hmm. I got to have pancakes any night I wanted, um, which not a lot of kids got to do that. Um, being around Kirby Lane my entire life has has been has been a great thing. Uh, I have, I have very fond memories of the original and the original South Lamar location and the original Northwest location. It's it's been a really cool thing having that as part of my life. Yeah, and I guess, did you when you would see your parents and they'd be working at the restaurant, um, did you see them as the same as all adults, or were you like these are kind of specific food people that are always around food, think food? Or did they just seem like, do you get what I'm saying? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to answer this in a way that's completely different than you're expecting. Okay. So 
I'm, let's say I'm 10 years old. Mm -hmm. I look at my folks. They are running Kirby Lane Cafe together. They also divorced when I was two, effectively. Um, they, they, in all, in all intents and purposes, they divorced when I was two. And so when I was a kid, when I was a 10 year old kid, I'm looking at my folks and I'm thinking, well, sure, it's normal that uh, mom and dad are no longer married and run a business together because that was normal for me. Mm -hmm. It's only now, it's only been as an adult that I've looked back and, and realized what an odd situation that was. Uh, I mean, it's an incredibly odd uh, situation. But I'm also in a lot of ways thankful that the business was there because if your livelihood depends on getting along with your ex-spouse, the person that you've had children with, it makes it a lot easier for those kids. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they had to get along. They, they had to make it work. And uh, it, was, it was a pretty interesting situation. I don't recommend it, but they they made it happen yeah and, and here we are today well yeah and do you think like i don't know i have this conception of people who work in the restaurant industry mainly like the back back of house and management they have very tough skin and they're always willing to get the job done is that do you share that with me like did you see your parents in yeah that, in I that mean, fashion there was like, a I've talked to my dad about this a lot. I was like, so what, what music from the 80s did you like? He's like, I don't really remember the 80s because I was working the entire time. <laughs> and my mom's same thing. So my dad was kind of, he was the ops person. My mom was the numbers person. Mm -hmm. that, that worked. My dad was the visionary. My mom was the person that would ground it out, grind out the accounting. And that's, that's how it worked. And it, yeah. we, they worked a lot. And I am so thankful for yeah. it. Yeah. What was, what was your favorite 80s music? That's, that's a, tough one um one band that just comes to mind well <laughs> god it's it's hard not to like journey but i know that Oof. that's uh that's tough <laughs> yeah um we can edit that out don't worry yeah we probably better edit that out um i'm gonna have to think about it. i will have a good answer by the end of okay, this conversation yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, we'll, we'll touch back on that so okay so your parents are, are running uh a restaurant was it always called Kirby Lane because didn't they work somewhere else first and then they opened up Kirby Lane? Yeah, so this is, I don't know, I don't know how public this story is. Um, well, let's hear it. Yeah, so my my mom moved to Texas from Minnesota. Uh, she was a musician, an artist, uh, sort of doing what you would do as a 20-something in the 70s. Um, she ended up marrying a guy named Kent Cole and she and Kent started a restaurant, which is now called Magnolia. Um, she, she and Kent started, at the time it was called Omelette West, but, but they were running this restaurant that has since become Magnolia. Uh, my father, like- What were they serving? It was breakfast, essentially. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same menu, essentially, that Magnolia has today. Mm -hmm. um, my dad, like most UT graduates with honors in government and history, did what, what, you do, which is get a job as a line cook after college at Magnolia, um, <laughs> which made total sense. Um, I don't know the lurid details. I don't even really want to think about sure. those details. But at some point, my mom stopped being married to Kent Cole. She and my father ran off and started Kirby Lane and had me. Mm -hmm. And the rest is kind of history. Yeah. So what? What when they started Kirby Lane, what did that look like? 
what did you guys serve? Sure. So the menu is quite different today than it than it was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now I was Kirby Lane predates me by about six months, so I guess in some capacity I was there at the uh, at the beginning. Yeah. Um, actually, in fact, that's always made me made me think that I was probably not a planned pregnancy because I don't think that uh, I don't think that you start a restaurant and have a baby. But I'm very very thankful that it all worked out the way it did. Yeah. Um, I actually lived in the original location for the first couple months of my life. Uh, they, I mean, they were poor. They like metaphorically lived there. No, no, or lived, actually lived, lived there. Okay. Um, the what is now dining room in the back of the restaurant used to be an apartment, mm-hmm. and so they couldn't afford a house and a restaurant. They couldn't afford rent for both, and so we literally lived literally lived in the restaurant for the first number of months of my life, um, and it was. From what I understand, it was work, work, work. Make it do whatever it takes to make this thing successful. Now, now, did did your parents come from families that did a lot of cooking? Because I'm trying to I'm trying to find how was the cooking just something you guys did? Because it's like, okay, we need to make some money. Uh, we want to live here. How do we do it? Well, let's just fry some eggs, make some hash browns, start slinging some food. Yeah, I mean, I could make up a story about how it was very deliberate and well thought out, but no, they they just sort of stumbled into it. I think that they didn't really know what they wanted to do with their lives, and they said, well, it might be fun to open up a restaurant. I, I, I've got some skill in the kitchen, and uh, I know how to run the books, so let's let's see what happens. What's the worst that can happen? We don't make it? We'll figure out something else. Um, and here we are 40 years later. Yeah, and, I mean, and it was, it was. I imagine, I know the menu's different today, but I imagine simple uh, comfort foods that we know, like the breakfast food that you can eat until 3 p.m. kind of thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was, I, I understand the original menu um, had items that we don't have now. Like there was a scallop dish. My, my father has always been really proud of the scallop entree, mm-hmm. which that doesn't really fit with Kirby Lane today. <laughs> um, but there's always been breakfast. Uh, that's something that's been a staple of the restaurant since inception. Uh, it's evolved. I mean, it's evolved as often as evolved. It's had to. Um, if we hadn't, I don't think that we'd still exist as an organization. But it's just something that, that they kind of stumbled into. And the story that they tell is that in Austin, Texas in 1980, it was really difficult to find high-quality food at an affordable price. You could find high-quality food. You could go to Jeffrey's or Fonda San Miguel, mm-hmm. um, and you could find food that was affordably priced. You could go to McDonald's or Burger King. But finding both awesome. of those things, uh, just it wasn't it there. It wasn't there, yeah. And so they were trying to fill that need. And that's really I, – I, I sort of said in jest earlier that they stumbled into it. That was the thing. That mm-hmm. was the thought process. That's why they did it. Okay. And so you <clears throat> grew up around all this. Then you decided to go study law, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, then came back. Now you're CEO. But what I'm curious about – and I think I read this somewhere. But what was your first position – at Kirby Lane, because I know I'm, I'm definitely sure your parents made you work when you were young and you were around, right? Well, yeah, I actually have a, a winnable child labor suit uh, against them that I haven't brought, but well, it's in your back pocket. Yeah, I got it. it. Yeah, okay. um, yeah. So when I was four or five years old, I'm, I'm six foot four now, but that's not always been the case. Uh, I used to be a little guy, uh, and my my original very first job at, at Kirby Lane was to go around with a 
putty knife and scrape gum off the bottom of tables. Um, and I loved it. Like I felt like I was contributing to the family business. It was a, it was a, I took a ton of pride in, in having that job. And then through, through my teenage years and in, in high school, I, I bus tables, I hosted, I waited tables. My favorite job in the restaurant was always cooking. Um, that was always my favorite. Uh, in fact, I remember distinctly in law school, I was taking a oral presentations class and we had to give a presentation on something that we thought was interesting and was going to teach the class something. And so I gave a presentation on how to flip an omelet. Um, and I ended up doing great because other people yeah. were doing presentations on poppy poppy growth in Afghanistan and uh, s- civil rights issues in the South. And I was like, ah, I'm going to, I'm going to. F- yeah. Well, listen, one of the hardest things to make, or, or I think to determine if someone's a really good cook, you ask them to make you an omelet. <laughs> Making a damn good omelet, like a perfect omelet is really hard to do actually. That's, and the that flip, is correct. The yeah. flip is. Did you do the the half flip or did you do the flip where oh. you? No, it was a it was a full motion. Okay. Everything goes up in the air, flips in the air, lands in the in the pan. Uh, I could actually. There was a point in my life where I was able to flip two omelets at once, one in the right hand, one in the left hand. Really. Now, that point is long gone. I'm past my omelet flipping prime. <laughs> um, but it existed at one point. Yeah. So, so you, you loved being in the kitchen. I would have been one of the gum scrapers, I think. But anyways, working in the kitchen is totally fun. The line cooks will let you squeeze in there somehow, I imagine. Um, and when did you start? Did, did you notice, um, I guess, everybody in the restaurant focusing more on like, okay, let's think about what we're putting on the menu. Let's, instead of just making eggs and toast and, and hash browns, let's give it some more Austin flair. Maybe throw an avocado in there or something. Is, was there a transition there? Uh, I'm trying to understand how the menu went from what it was before to what it is now because you said it's different. Yeah, it's 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 dramatically different. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, stay, the cost has I, been I, breakfast. Yeah, I guess I want to give the the audience an idea of what comf- comfort food today is because everybody eats it, but I don't think a lot of people know that we call it comfort food. So that's a that's a tricky question. Yeah. And well that's why I brought you in cuz yeah. I need an expert we're, to figure we're, it we're out. talking about the big philosophical issues. We're 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 solving the big problems. Yeah, today. exactly. Um comfort food for me is anything that allows you to escape your day-to-day stresses. Um and if if for you that is a bowl of queso or a stack of pancakes or a plate of sushi from Uchiko, or for me, comfort food, is and probably always will be Matzel Rancho. There is nothing that causes me to escape whatever else I have going on in my mind in my life, like a Bob Armstrong dip mm-hmm. and some fajitas at Matzel Rancho. But to the question about Kirby Lane, breakfast has always been there. I think for, for people, breakfast is a personal thing. It's a habitual thing. Um, they... David, Patricia, my mom and dad wanted to provide that for the Austin community. And I mean, there's guests that have been regulars for 40 years Mm -hmm. because it allows them to escape those worries. Um, In terms of the restaurant evolving, uh, 
I mentioned earlier in, in this interview that my father was always the visionary, mm-hmm. and um, it's true. He was. He, he pioneered, and I know it's cliched today, but he pioneered Farm to Table in Austin, Texas. It did not exist prior to Kirby Lane. Um, in the 1980s, if, if you wanted centrally, central Texas-grown vine-ripe tomatoes, you weren't able to call Hardee's or Segovia or any of the local produce companies that exist today. Um, what you did is you got in your 1984 Plymouth Voyager minivan and went out to a farm in Manshack, Texas, uh, and you collected tomatoes with with the farmers that that we had developed relationships with. Yeah, um, and, and what and why was that important? Did your father want you know a cutting edge, uh, I guess, technique for his restaurant, or because why didn't you guys just get the crappy tomatoes at the grocery store? What was the purpose of driving out to the farm? I, it sounds like a dumb question out loud, but back um, then, back then, why was there this like move to be? health conscious when it comes to well I think there was inertia to stick with mm-hmm. the status quo um, we would get tomatoes that were picked green on the vine in California and shipped across the country and left to ripen in a warehouse in San Antonio and by the time they reached the back door of Kirby Lane yeah. it wasn't a product you wanted to yeah. serve and so it doesn't sound tasty <laughs> yeah, my, my folks looked at that and they were like we can do better than this yeah um, and so they really did pioneer farm to table by going and developing those relationships with farmers. And to me, I think that that's probably the most important decision that they've made in the history of the company. And, and, and that's when you saw some sort of shift within the company and you're like, okay, this is, we're, we're doing something none of the restaurants around us are doing. Because, yeah. I mean, today, and I'm going to get your opinion on this, but today everything here is farm to table. Yeah. But this was happening. You guys were doing this in the 80s, 90s? 80, 84, 85. 84. I mean, okay. that's probably when it began. Um, and I firmly believe Kirby Lane does not exist today if they hadn't made that decision. Because yeah. it was, it's what differentiated us. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I, I mean, I want to argue with you, but I don't think I can. Because the food there, uh, like comfort food to me... When we were talking about comfort food, you said, like, oh, comfort food, it's, like, to get rid of the stress. So it could be Uchiko, it can be Matt's, Ranchero, it can be. But what Kirby Lane is doing is, like, what I think comfort food totally is. And your restaurants are always packed. If you don't have a reservation on the weekend, forget it. Like, you're, I mean, don't forget it. But it's going to be really hot. I guess the, it's worth waiting, like, the hour-long wait. Um, but the, the comfort food there... I don't know about getting rid of my stress, but it relaxes the hell out of me. Dipping my chip in that queso and or waiting for my pancakes and just like finishing the food there, I feel successful. I feel like very comfortable. Comfortable. Um, anyways, but the I guess going back to the shift between going to farm to table, why weren't the other restaurants doing that? And when did when did you notice this the Austin food scene gain more popularity in that? I I don't know why other restaurants weren't doing that, but I suspect because it was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like I said, there weren't there weren't produce companies back then the, the way they are today. The the produce company was us and our minivan, and and that's what it was. Um, you're right that today, if you're not a quote-unquote farm-to-table restaurant in Austin, you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think that that shift probably took place in the early 2000s. I think that's really when momentum around the locavore movement uh, gained steam here. And I mean, for us, it was it was a it was a mixed feeling because on the one hand, it was great to see these local vendors, these local farmers, purveyors get the business and the credit they deserve for producing the products that they produce. But on the other hand, it stopped being one of our big differentiators. So we had to come up with other differentiators. I'm, I'm thankful that we are where we are today in terms of Austin being a foodie city mm-hmm. and being a place where you can get great local products at a lot of different places. But, um, but you don't th- you don't think you can have Kirby Lanes? Cause, so there's eight Kirby Lanes not, or nine? There are eight. Eight. Yes. And they're, they're all in Austin? Correct. Well, I mean, Round Rock and Round Rock, yeah, yeah. Um, nine will open at the, at the beginning of next year in San Marcos. Actually. Okay, so that and I was going to ask because I think Kirby Lane could be successful in any of the cities in Texas, any of the metropolitan cities. Do you think so? Yep. Yeah, I think we are incredibly fortunate to live in a state where four of the eleven largest cities in the country exist. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't have to go outside the state of Texas in order to grow the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have. We have everything right here uh, within 200 miles. Yeah. And what, what do you think Kirby Lane and Texas uh, work so well together? You don't make it to 40 years as a restaurant unless you're doing something right. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> um, the restaurant business is a tough, tough business. Mm-hmm. And um, being able to have that track record and sustain that for so long – speaks to the product that, that we've produced. It speaks to the brand itself. It speaks to the people that are on our team. Mm-hmm. The other huge advantage that we have is that the University of Texas is in our backyard. Uh, how many thousands upon thousands upon thousands of UT students have gone through the doors of Kirby Lane and have great memories? Or honestly, in a lot of cases, <laughs> they don't have memories, but they were there. That's probably for the best. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've all, they've all been through our doors over the last 40 years. And guess what? They moved to places like Houston and Dallas and San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And they want to have those memories. They want their kids to experience those memories. And I think that that's part of why not just Kirby Lane has the potential to be successful in other markets, but it's why so many Austin businesses have done well in other markets, whether it's Chewy's or Torchies or Pluckers. I mean, there's a ton of Texas Austin-based restaurants that have that have thrived throughout mm-hmm. the state of Texas. Yeah, yeah. The, there's something about y'all's food, and I, I'm I'll be able to pinpoint it here in a bit. But there's something about y'all's food that does something magical and keeps these people coming back. Because yeah, it's all it's all fun to go there at three in the morning, two in the morning with your friends after a night out. But like when you go when you actually go at eleven o'clock in the morning and you're eating. And you just keep coming back. And I don't know. I guess there's not a simple answer to that because I've asked other restaurateurs or other chefs, like, oh, how, how do you make yours so successful? And I guess I'm looking for a certain key. Well, not the case. I mean, I think that there is something to absolutely something to be said about sitting in the physical environment and ab- absorbing the energy around you and having a server who looks unconventional. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's been something that's always been a, a staple of Kirby Line is that we we hire people that have tattoos and piercings. And again, everybody does that now. Mm-hmm. Nobody did that in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And so I think there's something to be said of the actual in-restaurant experience. Delivery is a huge thing these days. Mm-hmm. And I think that delivery is great. 
but it's very, very different enjoying an Eggs Francisco at Kirby Lane versus on your couch while watching Netflix. Mm -hmm. It's just a different experience. Oh, I totally agree. Totally agree. I think, yeah, I've never ordered Kirby Lane and ate it at my house unless unless it was leftovers. But no, being in Kirby Lane with your best friends, that's, you can't just do that in any restaurant, I don't think. But speaking speaking of restaurants, tell me tell me about High Note because I've I keep hearing about it. I haven't had a chance to go, but is that something new you guys are yeah. doing? Uh, we opened High Note this year, okay. and um, a lot of people ask why why did you guys decide to do High Note? What is High Note? So High Note is an entirely different concept from Kirby Lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we looked at our operations and we said we're pretty darn good at running restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and believe it or not, I mean, Kirby is not – it's not a place where you have a you know, $15 entree. That just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's incredibly complicated to execute. And we said, okay, well, we want to use some of this operational expertise and execute in an environment that's a little bit simpler. Um, and it was with that – it was with that idea that we that we came up with, with High Note. Uh, High Note is a totally different concept. It in a, lot of, in a lot of ways, it originated with the same thinking that David and Patricia had when they originated Kirby Lane. We wanted to come up with a restaurant that had bold, international, global flavors and serve these items at a price point that just about anybody could afford. And so we were trying to fill a niche that didn't exist before. And so that's how High Note was, was developed. It is... It is a it's a totally eclectic menu. Mm-hmm. You can get anything from a salmon curry to oh wow, um, we've got a really really good burger. Yeah. Um, it's it's the flavors are all over the globe from kimchi beef to uh, I had a chicken salad sandwich from there wow. yesterday. So it's it's a really cool concept. What, what's your favorite uh What's your favorite cuisine? Do you have one at High Note or generally? In general. I could eat Tex-Mex every day of my life. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Which is not, <laughs> it's not necessarily good for you, but... Uh, it's good for the mind yeah. and the soul. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, okay. So um, I, I am getting more curious about all the, all the excellent stuff you guys do and how that makes you successful. So I do want to talk about if somebody wants to open up a restaurant um, and this is like totally passionate about it how do they how does their restaurant become a staple in their hometown what are like <laughs> the, the three easy steps <laughs> no no but like what what are <clears throat> is community involvement a big part of a restaurant nowadays um and i'm about to list a lot of the stuff you do but community involvement like having real benefits for employees um allowing them to like be themselves does that help um, kind of create your own identity and that's what lasts long for a restaurant or just you got to be competitive in pricing? You may have stumped me on the three easy steps because <laughs> I don't know. I think that, mm-hmm. I think that luck plays a role. Um, I, I'd love to say that you know, we are visionaries and have this incredible amount of skill, but I think luck, being in the right place at the right time, plays a big role. Um, without diminishing ourselves, hopefully. 
Um, uh, you've, you've, yeah, you've, I, I agree. I agree. L- luck does play a big role in things, but forty years yeah. of successful like restaurants in like. So you've got to have a good product. I yeah. mean, you can't serve bad food, and I know that sounds obvious, but a lot of restaurateurs don't get that. Um, and I think price point matters. I mean, there's places in Austin you can go and pay a ton of money for a great meal, and that works if you perceive value there. So think back to algebra. Um, and you remember just I, I think of this equation, and it's, it's I wish I had a whiteboard to, to show our <laughs> listeners. But um, I still wouldn't get it. <laughs> so think of the equation of value is equal to experience divided by price. So really, really phenomenal experience at a really high price. Think, think Perlis. Okay. I perceive value there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a higher price than I am probably going to pay just about anywhere else. Experience over price. Experience divided by price. Okay. Now, let's go to the other extreme. Let's go to McDonald's. Mm. Experience is what it is, but if you're paying 99 cents for a, for a cheeseburger, you perceive value there. Okay. I think Kirby has been squarely in that value proposition for 40 years, and that's why we're still around. Okay. Uh, the experience is is a unique experience that you're not going to get anywhere else. And the price point is our average ticket, our average, our average ticket is $13. Per person? Per person. Okay. Yeah. Which is, um, not a lot. That's that a lot of, not a lot. that's a lot of eggs and pancakes. Yeah. That doesn't make sense in my head. Cause I eat a lot of food there. <laughs> 13 bucks. Yep. Okay. And I mean, it, it, so if you want to be a, a hometown Texas restaurant, like staple, do you have to have certain pro- other than having, you're, you're right, like other than having a great product, do you need to have a Chilas Quilas on the menu? Do you need to have a Migas on the menu? Does ever does it, does, honestly, does it need to be farm to table now or people won't eat it? Like maybe here in Austin, but what about like Brenham, Texas or... Well, you've, got, you've got to have avocado toast. You're not going to play to the millennials without okay. avocado toast. Okay. I'm just kidding. We don't even have avocado <laughs> toast. <laughs> I was going to really ask you if there was an avocado toast. No, on there's not. Yet. There's a there's. A, you guys can make it if somebody asks. Yes, yeah. but that's not something. We, we aren't we aren't going to go to, down the trendy road. Not for, a lot of that. creativity there. Um, form to table. I don't think it hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'll be perfectly honest that as we've gotten bigger and bigger, it's harder and harder to find local suppliers that can keep up with our volume. Mm-hmm. Um, we serve on an average week across all all eight locations. We serve something like sixty five thousand people a week. Um, sixty five thousand people a week. Yeah, so it's a sizable number of folks. Oh, how many eggs do you guys go through? <laughs> you know, this sounds like a this sounds like an interview question for like a McKinsey or a Boston consulting yeah. group, where you have to go and sort of back out the the math. I don't I don't know. Um, Definitely more than sixty-five thousand, though, right? Yeah, on an, on an annual basis, how many eggs do we go through? Oh, Jesus, I don't. <laughs> uh, I mean, if, if you want to get the, the whiteboard back out, yeah. we can try to figure this out. <laughs> Jesus, okay, um, that's a lot of eggs. It is. <laughs> so, uh, and one thing I'm I'm becoming more interested in are the restaurants that just focus on sourcing locally, and people think, oh, yeah, within your city. But I'm talking about like a two hundred mile radius. Sure which is local to me, or even just within your state. Um, because let's say you want to move to Lubbock, 
sourcing locally there would look totally different for you than right. what it looks like here. Right. Um, how important is that nowadays when it comes to restaurants? Because as as people are becoming more aware of what they're eating and people are caring about what they eat, I think more people are realizing that eating what's closer to you is not only ha- healthier but tastes better. Um, so how important is that on a restaurant level? Pretty important. Yeah. Um, I think consistency is probably the most important thing. I want the experience you have in Lubbock to be exactly the same or as close to the same mm-hmm. as the experience you have at the original here in Austin. Um, but then it's like I think of a, of a restaurant like a, like a Shake Shack. Um, I thought it was really cool when Shake Shack came here that they maintained their Shake Shack menu, but they also partnered with – I want to say they partnered with Uchi across mm-hmm. the street on South Lamar to come up with some sort of um, Austin-specific dish. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's a way to – you keep your supply chain that you're using throughout the rest of the country, mm-hmm. but then you have these local, these local centric items that make it a uniquely Austin experience. Yeah, and I, I mean, not only are you connecting with the community there, it's like, oh, Shake Shack's now here, but they work with Uchi. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but supply chain wise, it makes sense as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that I didn't realize how incredibly important supply chain was when I came into this business, mm-hmm. but. In fact, that's been a that's been a big challenge for us. Um, when I first arrived at Kirby, we were not se- selling anything close to sixty five thousand meals a week. Um, yeah, it was a lot <laughs> less than that. And what that allowed us to do is it allowed us to work with more local vendors. Mm. And so it's a it's a problem you want to have. You outgrow your local vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, now, is is there is there some desire within the company to like have this? Uh, what is it called? Not vertical, horizontal integration where you own the chicken coop with the eggs and you own, you know, the avocado farm. Is that something you guys talk about? Like owning the supply chain? No. No? Um, the relationship is... <laughs> no, I'm going to let people who know how to do that do that. Okay. And we'll stick to what we do well. Okay. Um, that's... No. Not... not nope. <laughs> okay. I think about how bad we were at running a bakery. So, like, if we can't run a bakery, there's no way we can run an avocado farm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I, I was just thinking like <clears throat> McDonald's and how they're like, okay, we're just gonna buy the potato farm. We're gonna buy the tomato farm and have this weird integration of owning every step of the supply chain. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you're a multi-billion-dollar company like a McDonald's, that probably makes more sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read about when they went into Russia, they had to basically create their own supply chain there. Mm-hmm. When you're a family business doesn't really have at least current intentions of going outside the state of Texas. I don't I don't think that makes mm-hmm. sense for us. I will say that the one real benefit that I would see to that for us would be it ensures that the products we are see- that we're serving are sustainably sourced that that animal welfare is is cared about mm-hmm. that environmental standards are adhered to. I mean for me for us as an organization, when we look at vendors, local is great, but how they treat the environment, how they treat their animals, how they look at sustainability is equally important. Mm-hmm. And so that would maybe be the one reason why we would ever want to do that mm-hmm. is to ensure that that's happening. Have you done the, that with any of your uh, like vendors? Have we? Like, hey, I, wa- I want you guys to pay your employees more or 
you guys have this program in place because we only work with those kinds of companies? Yeah, we don't. I mean, we are very, very selective in our vendors mm-hmm. for exactly those reasons. I mean, we've actually left vendors because we didn't think that they were adhering to the values that we care about as an organization. Who are who are some like cool vendors that you work with? If if you can share that, sure. Oh yeah, I'm happy to share that. Um, yeah. So our longest running vendor is Third Coast Coffee. It's kind of like the third rail of uh, of our business. Um, I get coffee vendors all the time asking if if we want to switch to them, and it's like there is. There is not a chance in hell that we're going to do that. <laughs> Third Coast has been a partner, and we've grown with them. For how long? Almost 40 years. Jesus. Now, and what I love about Third Coast is th- as they've grown, they've taken on more social responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so they actually started something called the Coffee Cooperatives, where they work with indigenous farmers in places like Indonesia, Central and South America, parts of Africa, uh, farmers that aren't producing enough product to be a supplier for a Maxwell House or a Starbucks or McDonald's. Um, But Third Coast, with the coffee coffee cooperatives, banded together with other coffee importers and have created a market for these farmers. Um, And they pay them a fair price, and they pay them a Mm -hmm. fair price up front, which is a big deal. Um, And so when I go into one of our restaurants and I see people enjoying their coffee, I make this connection in my head, I'm like, okay, is that person sipping that cup of coffee? Some farmer in Indonesia is living a better life. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it's 100% how we think about our vendors. Yeah. And I, I think that's how people st- or restaurants should be thinking about it, right? I would hope so. Yeah. We certainly want to lead the way in that in that effort. Are, are coffee vendors the biggest vendors that come to you? or? I mean, no. The biggest vendor that comes to us is credit card processing vendors. Oh. Um Boring. Yeah, but no. I mean, we get we get inquiries all the time, and and you know we're gonna take a we're gonna take a look at people, mm-hmm. and if, if if you have a good product, we might not buy it today, but maybe we'll put it on high notes menu, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe down the road it might make sense to switch. Yeah. And so again, it's those values, it's environmental stewardship, it's sustainability, it's how you treat your animals. That's really what we're gonna care about more than anything else. Yeah, and I, I imagine. Um Austin having this huge CPG scene. Everyone has food companies here. Do you have a lot of uh, small small brands that come to you and it's like, hey, give us the chance to sell our recyclable straws in your chains yep. or something? Yeah, that, that happens a lot. Yeah, and um, there are some there are some Austin CPG businesses that we've worked with over the years that we've actually helped help grow. So let me give a great example of a, of a business that's about to go on our menu: um, Credo Foods. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Credo or not, being in the CPG business. They are, they are a cashew queso uh, CPG oh, yeah, provider. Yes, yes, yes. So we met with Adam and Madeline, who are the founders and husband and wife mm-hmm. team of Credo, and we thought it sounded like an interesting thing. And then we tried their product, and we were like, this "Stuff is really good." This is dairy free. Yeah, dairy free, soy free, gluten free, yeah. everything free that it could and be. And you guys don't have that on your menu. We right? have a vegan queso. Okay. Um, but if I'm being honest, it's not as good as Credo's vegan queso. Yeah. Ours is based more with a nutritional yeast and a, and a roasted veggie mm-hmm. uh, recipe. Theirs is a cashew queso recipe. So we're launching Credo on our upcoming fall menu, and so the hope is that as a as a local CPG supply, CPG company that we're going to help them grow, um, and I think it's great. It's a win win yeah. for everybody. Is it going in all the locations? It is. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. 
yeah, the community involvement here is unreal. Yeah. I always, I think I've said that in every episode. Um, okay, how many, how many employees do you have? About seven hundred and fifty. Oh, so just a small amount. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, how the hell do you have so many employees? And I'm sure, like, a lot of them stay there and work there for a while. We've got a lot of those. Yeah. Um, I will say that this is the most challenging jobs environment I've ever operated in. Uh, with with the unemployment rate sub 3%, maybe sub 2% in Austin, and an explosion of restaurants, it is very, very difficult to hire and retain people. Um, and it's not something that we've ever struggled with before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a recent struggle? Last couple of years, yeah. Huh. I mean, for most of my tenure with Kirby Lane, our... Our turnover rate, our annual turnover rate was sub 40%, which sounds high, but for the restaurant industry, that is absolutely a world-class number. Yeah, that's um, what I was thinking. That has changed in the last couple of years because there are so many restaurants. There's not enough There's not enough people to staff those restaurants. And uh, people will, will chase not just an extra dollar, they'll chase an extra nickel. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a challenge. Yeah, but so... You guys are offering, what kind of benefits do you guys offer? Way more than most restaurants. Yeah. Um, so we start with health insurance. Everybody's offered health insurance, uh, depending on whether you're full-time or part-time. Um, the, the plan changes, but it's a, it's a rich, generous plan. Um, same thing I'm on. Mm-hmm. We offer paid time off. I don't know if you remember, uh, I, I want to say about a year ago, there was a big paid sick leave debate in Austin City Council where City Council passed a mandatory paid sick leave act and there was I mean it was an emotionally charged issue and as a whole the restaurant industry came out very very strongly against it Mm -hmm. now for us I I didn't want it to happen because that's a competitive advantage of ours Mm -hmm. so if Sonic is offering paid sick leave and we're offering paid sick leave well that's that's Wow. Now something that we don't have as a, as a as a one-up on somebody else. I didn't look at it that way. Now, from a from an employee standpoint, I think it's I think it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think paid sick leave is a uniformly good thing from a public policy standpoint. And so I don't want to. But this this is only for full time. It's right? for everybody. Really, mm-hmm. even part time. Yep, that's what they passed. Now there is there's litigation going on around it right mm-hmm. now, and our state legislature is also looking at the issue. But I mean, I sent out a company wide memo after Austin passed this, this ordinance saying, hey, listen, I know that there's this, this politically charged issue right now. You guys, you all know that you have paid time off. You will continue to have paid time off. It doesn't matter what the city does. Things aren't going to change for you. Your mm-hmm. benefits are going to remain very rich. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I'm really proud of. Yeah. Do you, do you know, um, <clears throat> do you have like an oldest employee that's been there for 15 years, 20 yeah. years? Um, we do. Uh, there is a gentleman who works with us. He is celebrating 35 years. Yeah. That's awesome. Isn't that incredible? That's incredible. Those are the best people to come to your table to like a a professional. I I don't even want to call him waiter, like a professional. I don't know, but that's awesome. Talk about, talk about knowing the brand. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. So we're doing, we're going to, 
actually, I don't even want to say what we're doing for don't him because it it, it's, it's a surprise yeah. for him. So I'm not, I'm not going to say a word, but um, we're doing something special. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Wow. I see. I didn't know Kirby Lane to me was just a badass restaurant that I can get really good food. I didn't know the intricacies. Seven hundred fifty employees. Yep. Yeah, I know it's crazy. I, I it, that number is hard for me to swallow. Yeah. What What are some like staple items on the menu that you really like? That's a That's a Be, tough question too. Because in Kirby Lane, you don't have all this uh, cultural fusion like you do at High Note. Correct. I mean, okay. it's more Kirby Lane. You're to your point earlier. Kirby Lane is comfort food. Yeah, that's what it is. It's it's Southern Texan comfort food. Yeah, you'll you'll get your like Latin mix in there. Yeah, we th- we we do pretty well with with Tex Mex. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's comfort food. And yeah. I mean, for me, what are the items I come back to over and over and over again? We're not known for this, but our buffalo chicken sandwich is the best buffalo chicken sandwich in Austin. It is damn good. <laughs> um, I probably shouldn't be eating that on a regular basis, yeah. but I love it. Um, can't go wrong with breakfast. Uh, just about any breakfast item is great. Uh, other items I, I love are salmon. We actually have a salmon entree that's mm-hmm. delicious. Um, those are kind of the big ones for me. Yeah. And do you think do you think Texans are ever going to stop loving that kind of comfort food? I that, sure that hope breakfast. not. Breakfast. <laughs> I don't think I want to be here if that happens. <laughs> I don't think it will. I don't think it will. We that that like cafe morning food has simple stuff. It's not simple back house, but simple to the customer. I I, I don't think I've figured out yet why Texans have such a connection with that. I don't have the answer either. Yeah. But you know like <clears throat> I'm imagining a Kirby Lane in New York City and I would just kill too. Like, I don't think they have that kind of the big plated food with that can just cure your stress or your hangover or a lot of other things. Yeah, you're stressing me out, making me think about trying to operate in yeah. New York. <laughs> well, I think we're going to have to leave it at that. Uh, I guess, do, do you have, um, have you ever walked into work one day, like into one of the restaurants and the manager was like, Hey, I got to tell you what happened last night. <laughs> what? Get, before we end the show, tell me one funny story. Um, well, I promised you first favorite 80s band, and I thought about that, and it's New Order. New oh, Order, Georgia yes. Edition. Um, yes. So that's, I, I, I wanted okay. to make sure we, I, I, after saying Way Journey. Way better than Journey. Although Journey's a lot of fun. Um, sh- sh- fun, yes. So that's the first answer. There's a lot of stuff that I can't say on air that happens, especially at late night, um, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with with one of my, one of my favorite Kirby Lane Cafe stories, and this is the old South Lamar location where Gordo's currently is. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just this crazy random late night where first a woman got locked in the women's room in the in the women's restroom because apparently the lock failed, and so she's stuck in there, which tells you why we left that building, um, among other reasons. So that's happening. Meanwhile, there are these Aussies in town, and they were having a good time. They'd had a good time before they got there. They continued to have a good time while there, and they picked up 
all of the ketchup bottles and started going through the restaurant and dumping ketchup on everybody. <laughs> so this guy, Scott Cantu, who's actually a general manager with us now, was like a brand new baby manager at the time. And he's trying to get this woman out of the restroom while these Aussies are, are wreaking havoc throughout the restaurant. And it's like, yeah, that's a normal normal Thursday night at Kirby Lane. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Those damn Aussies yeah. everywhere. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, well, hey, Mason, I'm really glad you got to come on the show. Um, I've been a huge fan of Kirby Lane, and I don't have a friend that hasn't been to Kirby Lane. Um, so for you guys listening, if you haven't been there, which I'm pretty sure you all have, go out to Kirby Lane, order some queso, get a little comfortable, um, and just go there and understand that you're eating quality food and being taken care of quality by quality people. Um, and yeah, that's it. Thank you again, Mason. I Thanks appreciate so much. it. A lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks again, Mason, for coming on the show. I had a wonderful time talking to you about what Kirby Lane is kind of behind the scenes and what it took to get there, because to me it was always just a consumer thing, but I think you shine some light for us on how you guys became so successful um, and the story you told. Too funny, too funny. Anyways, thank you guys for listening, and don't forget to like, follow, and share.